It's a bit different this morning, and I don't know, I just feel that this, this is the way that the Lord's going to do His thing today, and um, if you come expecting something a bit more solemn, or maybe me in a collar, or a gown, I apologize, um, not really, but uh, so this is, this is what we do, and, and I just had this, this message on my heart to share with us today, and again, I don't normally use props, I'm not a gimmick guy, but, um, but hopefully this dirty, rusty old ladder will help prove the point I'm trying to make this morning. You see, when it comes to life, we can, we can have, when I say we, I mean us humans collectively have this idea, percep- perception that the life is like, like a ladder, or, or success is measured in the way we would measure a ladder, that, that it starts small, we start on the ground, we, we, we might be born a baby, which most of us were uh, at some point in time, let's be honest, and what are you heckling me? <laughs> My own wife, and then and then as we as we develop and we grow, we start to gain new skills, and we learn to speak and socialize and, and communicate and and all those things. And we go to school and we get educated, and which is wonderful. And we we might then go to university and start a career, and then we might meet that lucky special someone who just makes our life complete. And, and we get married, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful, and and it's great. And we have kids, and and. and beautiful and they grow up and it's awesome our career starts to boom and the kids maybe grow older and get move out of home and then our investment strategy starts to grow as well and then we find ourselves having grandbabies and things slow down a little bit and and life just goes from glory to glory strength to strength until we somehow reach this echelon moment of life where we're just this close to heaven and then when it's our time to go we just have that little step from the top of our awesome life across to the next in heaven. And to be honest, I don't know anyone that's lived that life. Because maybe if you're like a billionaire heiress that lives in a royal family, but this is certainly not the, the, the reality for most people that sure these things happen in various orders, but, but sometimes too it's like, well, sometimes your marriage goes through a real tough spot. And it's real, real hard. And you thought you were further along than what you are, but the reality of life is that, man, sometimes things are really tough. Or, or you get that medical diagnosis that really rocks you and makes you feel uncertain and makes you feel like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. Or, or maybe, maybe you lose friendships or something goes wrong and, or, or, or your business goes belly up and things get really tough. And all of a sudden you can find yourself going, man, I, what I thought success was, here I am over here because I was going up, but now I'm down and things are all over the place. And what that does is that sucks hope out of our life because this is how we thought it should be. This is, the, this is the promise that the world is selling me that as I grow, I get more and life is awesome and I'll be fantastic. But we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where stuff happens. Inconvenience happens. Tragedy happens. And we might go up and down that thing a, a thousand times, but that's just the way life is. And then when I think about Jesus and, and the life he lived, it's kind of pretty similar. Like us, he was born a baby. So we've got that in common with him. And I assume he was just a regular kid that, you know, would wear nappies and, you know, vomit after he's breastfed and all that sort of stuff. And maybe bath time was a little bit difficult to try and get him under the water. But there's a lot of different things. <laughs> that, you know, 
Sorry, it's Good Friday. Solemn, frown. And then, and then he grew. He matured. He learned things. Um, the Bible says at age 12, he took a special shining to uh, being in the synagogue and asking tough questions and answering tough questions that would astound the leaders and the educated people at age 12. And even then, he knew he must be about his father's business. And uh, that's his heavenly father's business, but also he's about his earthly father's business or his stepdad, whatever you want. It's a bit technical. Um, Joseph, so he became a carpenter to learn this skill uh, in, in, in carpentry and also learning the, the craft of uh, Jewish tradition and, and, and all those sorts of things in that system. And, and then he was baptized by his cousin, John. And that was the start of his ministry. And, and we know the story where he was baptized and he came back out and, and God affirmed him. The Father affirmed him. An audible voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am pleased. And bang, that's when Jesus went into all the world and started to share the most incredible truths and, and heal people. And, and he was seeing blind eyes open and crowds would follow him and dead people would be raised from the dead because of the power that was in him. And he would teach and, and, and totally undo the religious thinking of the time and, and basically highlight the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the rulers and, and just make a mockery of, of that system to bring in God's order, God's way to restore people back to him. And it was good. Jesus was going from strength to strength. He was kicking goals. And there's little things along the way that people didn't like it. But by and large, he was climbing the ladder of life and things was going really well. In fact, the, the crescendo, the, the high point, of his life and was, was a week ago, Palm Sunday, where he entered Jerusalem on a donkey to be part of the, the Passover celebration, a week-long festival that uh, the Jews had, had held for centuries to remember and celebrate God's taking them out of slavery for 430 years God's people, the Israelites, were kept in captivity in Egypt in slave-like conditions. And so we know the story there. Moses led them out and God delivered them from slavery. And so from then on, they would celebrate the Passover and it became like a tradition, like, like Jews' fest, if I could say that this time of year. Thank you. Two people get that. That's good. Thank you. And so Palm Sunday is Jesus coming in to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And the crowd, the city was jacked up. They were pumped. They're like, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. This is awesome. And so they would lay down their cloaks, lay down palm fronds, and welcome him in as a dignitary, as a king, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Hosanna was basically a term that would mean, I'm so full of joy. I'm so full of adoration. This, this is exciting. And this is probably the, the highlight of Jesus' time. He was famous. He'd hit the big time. Everyone knew, here is Jesus coming in on a donkey. He knew what was coming, but everyone else was just like, awe, adoration, affection. And fast forward a few days, he's, having supper with his disciples. 
And we all know that the part of that festival celebration is, is that they would have the, the Passover meal together, which is, we call it communion, but it's just this meal together where we bond and we reflect upon Jesus. And had that time with his disciples, which was great. And then after that meal, we've all seen Da Vinci's picture of that, the Last Supper. He takes his disciples up on a mountain and says, hey guys, let's go pray. As he's praying, stress and anxiety overwhelm him. It gets tough. The stress, the anxiety on Jesus in that moment caused him to sweat blood. So we know stress, we understand stress, we get that, but I, I doubt very many of us have actually got to that point of anguish where we might get sweaty palms, but we don't have blood pouring out our pores. Such was the anguish, the stress, the anxiety that Jesus was feeling. See, we get anxious about stuff that may or may not happen, and that's what causes us to have that. But he knew exactly what was coming. He knew what was next. And that's why the weight of that stress, because it was imminent, not possible, not maybe, not. And so he sweated blood. And so he got up from that prayer meeting and feeling that weight of stress, that weight of anxiety. And he starts to see this orange flickery haze, this glow in the horizon that gets warmer and brighter as it gets close. And as the light gets brighter, keep in mind it's like almost middle of the night now, it's quite dark. He sees that the light is, is fire, it's torches, and there's a crowd coming. And as it becomes clearer, it's, it's Roman soldiers. They're armed, weapons, chains. They're not here on a peacekeeping mission, they're here to arrest and take Jesus. And so they surround him and the disciples. And in the confusion, in the chaos, a familiar figure steps forward out of the crowd of soldiers. And it's one of his own. It's Judas, a disciple who'd been with him, seen the miracles by his side, had opportunity to leave in tough moments, but stood by Jesus the whole time. But here he was. And with a single moment, he kissed Jesus on the cheek and betrayed him. <coughs> Jesus was betrayed by an ally. Someone from within the ranks had stabbed him in the back and sold him out. And that kiss of betrayal, Judas' kiss, was the signal for those soldiers that this is the guy you want. Come get him. And Judas got his payday. He got 30 pieces of silver. Significant amount of money in that particular time. I don't know exactly the transfer rate, but obviously worth it. At least it seemed like that for him. And it's only a week earlier. Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and he's famous. Everyone's loving him. And then he's overwhelmed with stress and anxiety. And then he's betrayed by an ally. And so they rest Jesus, they take him away and in chains and it wasn't pretty, dragging him through the streets, spitting on him, pulling at his beard, mocking him. It's pretty horrendous what they did to Jesus. And so it's funny, the crowd then shifted gears from Hosanna to 
Hell yeah, let's kill him. And they turned on him. And Peter being one of Jesus' closest disciples, closest friends, he's following really closely on the tail of what's going on. He's following the soldiers. He's following Jesus in his procession down to take him to the courts to get convicted and sentenced. And Peter's right by him. And as the crowd tightens in, as, as people gather around this courthouse, as Jesus is about to be convicted and sentenced, Peter's looking in at how they're treating Jesus. And someone in the crowd says, hey, fella, you're with him. I've seen you. You're one of his boys. And he's like, nope, no. Another person's like, that accent's familiar. You're from Galilee. You're, you're with Jesus. Nope. And the third time, Peter denies one of his closest friends. So now Jesus was denied by one of his closest men, closest friends. Turned his back on him. It's getting lower. It's getting harder. So we know the story from there. Jesus gets wrongfully convicted. But this is all part of the plan for redemption. Sentenced to death, death on a cross, a criminal's death. And it it was brutal. And had the crown of thorns wedged on his head. He had nails driven through his hands, through his feet, fixing him to a large timber cross that they would then hoist into the air. And the thing with the Romans is they were a, they were a messed up bunch. They, they, they were pure evil genius in the fact that they would spend their time figuring out ways to prolong human suffering so that death could be staggered. See, how long could, can we torture and torment a physical human body until it died? It was horrific. It was brutal. I was just talking to Benno before about the Passion of the Christ. If you've ever seen that movie, it gives you a glimpse of how horrific it was. In fact, the term that we would use today, you know we get a little ouchie in your fingernail and you go, oh, that is excruciating. Well, it's not really because the word excruciating means from the cross. They, they formulated a new word to describe the torture and torment of what a human body would go through being crucified excruciating so maybe next time we can be a little bit more conservative with that word so there he is on the cross hung up naked undignified barely recognisable as a human let alone as Jesus and he's on the cross in his darkest moment And he calls out with a voice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Seven days earlier, he was famous. Then all of a sudden, he was anxious and stressed. Then he was betrayed by someone within the ranks, sold out. Then he was denied by one of his closest friends and had, he, had them turn his back on him. 
And now he finds himself completely alone in his darkest hour, forsaken by even his father. He had no one. So much for the ladder of life. Glory to glory. Everything's awesome. And this is the story of Good Friday. My kids often ask me, Dad, why is it Good Friday? Could they not have think, thought of another word? Like Jesus dying on the cross? Like I get, what, what do we call it? Good Sunday? Because that's awesome. Jesus resurrected. It was a great new life. Why Good Friday? Here's my thoughts. So Jesus did all of this. Ultimately so that all of humanity could have an avenue back to relationship with their Heavenly Father who give, gave them life in the first place. And everyone who puts their faith in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. We, we know that. And then we cross that line of faith and we trust in God and we have a relationship with Him. He gives us a mission. We now, when we find Jesus, when we come to faith, we now have a purpose to live for. And it's far greater than any purpose we thought we'd ever have in our own strength and our own imagination. Every Christian who's ever found, or every human that has found faith in Jesus and would call themselves his follower has a purpose, has a plan, has a mission, has a mandate on their life. And you might think, well, I'm not good enough for that. I'm not worthy. You are. The reason he died on a cross proves that you were worthy because you were who he did it for. And those of us who find faith, we have this mission. We find this mission in Matthew 28, 19. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe and obey all that I have commanded. So in other words, take what you've received from me and pass it on to others around you. Share that love, share that grace, share that hope, share that life that Jesus died on the cross to give you and it's not meant to stop with you, it's meant to flow through you. And wherever we go in this adventure called life, no matter what career you have, no matter what your family looks like, no matter what your bank balance looks like, no matter what you think of yourself internally, you have a mission, you have a mandate to make disciples to encourage people in their following of Jesus. And here's the beauty of this mission. Often gets forgotten about when we talk about the Great Commission. Because, you know, as... We like to be works-based. Just go do, go do, go do. Yeah, yeah, And become like little robots trying to fulfill this mission and make God happy. God's already happy with us. He already loves us. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more. Nothing we can do for him to make us love us less. But the way that the human brain is designed, we, we like to make things robotic and automated. And so we will go into all the world. We will make disciples. We will make religious zealots just like us. But we forget one of the most significant parts of that mission. Because that mission does not come with a clause that says, hey, when you do that, it's going to be awesome. You're going to tiptoe through the tulips. Everything's going to go in your favor. I'm going to promise you that your life is going to go up that ladder of awesomeness until you get the upper echelon of you reaching the peak of being incredible and there's just that small step to glory when you pass from this life to the next. Jesus doesn't promise any of that. He says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. 
okay, thanks for that. That's really hopeful. That's really great. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. So he doesn't promise perfection. He doesn't promise prosperity. He doesn't promise everything's going to be easy. Here's what he does promise, which is one of the most significant parts of this mission that we have. Is verse 20, after Matthew 28, 19, going to the world, verse 20, and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Because life has its ups and downs. And even though in the, the ups and downs of life, we have a mission to be imperfect people, helping imperfect people discover the perfect God. And it's in our imperfection that we can continue to represent the perfect God because He is with us always. Hebrews 4 verse 15, I love this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us because like us, he has suffered in the same way. He has been tempted in the same way. He's experienced the high highs of career and marriage and investment and awesomeness and fame. He's been famous. He's had it all. But he's also, he gets stress, anxiety. He gets being backstabbed by friends and being denied. He gets being betrayed. He gets being alone and forsaken. And he has experienced the full gamut from famous to forsaken and everything in between. And he gets it because he's experienced it, which makes him so much different to any other leader, religious figure, God that is worshipped on this planet. This is what sets him apart. He's not sitting on his throne going, serve me, do more for me, tick this box, be this religious person, and if you do all these things, then I'll be pleased with you. No, no, he's like, you know what? I know you can't do it. So I'm going to come down as one of you and make a way for all of you so that anyone who would find faith in me, in Jesus, shall not perish but have, perish but have eternal life. And then when we get this life, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. This is the hope that we have. So no matter where you are right now in life, if you're famous and doing, everything's doing well and you're at that top, you're, yes, oh, everything's great. Jesus has been there too. And he's with you in your high moments. And he's, if you're with him in your high moments, he will help you get through that so that you don't get too proud, too arrogant, too cocky. Your ego doesn't inflate to a place that it shouldn't. He will keep you humble in those high places so you can handle that thing well. But you might find yourself in a place where you're really struggling with stress and anxiety and life is tough. And I know now that as we look around the world, and probably for the last 10 years or longer, the pandemic long before COVID was emotional and mental health issues. And that doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. But Jesus understands that. And he's with us even in those moments. And you might feel like, well, you know, I, I've, I've been betrayed. You know, I, I went into this investment thing with, with friends or, or I was in this, this workplace and then I got 
undercut by someone and I just, I just feel totally like left. Jesus gets that. Or my, my best friend's left me or, or my marriage is in tatters or I just feel like I'm being denied and people have turned their back on me. Jesus gets that too. Yeah, but I'm, I just, no one gets me. I feel so alone. I feel forsaken. I feel like I'm in my darkest hour and no one is there and no one understands. Yeah, but Jesus is there too. He's with you always. He doesn't promise perfection. He promises his presence, which, hello, is perfection. It's the perfect love for you and I to draw upon in our times of need. It's the perfect hope for you and I to anchor ourselves to when we feel like we have no hope. And so we're going to take communion this morning. And we're going to have the band lead us in in one last song. And I want us just to reflect. Yeah, rip them off. That's great. Doesn't ruin the moment at all. But you might want to stand. You might want to sit. But for the next five minutes as we sing this song, I want you to take the bread and the juice, which represents the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. Ultimately, it represents his death, which is why we're here today, Good Friday, to reflect on that, think about that. And even though the circumstance of what he went through might not seem good, what it means for us on the back end of that is good. So think about your life. Where are you at in life? Where are you at in the ladder of life? And then remember that God is with you there today and will always be there to the end of the age. In your moment, in your brightest shining moment, in your darkest, most forsaken moment, God is there.